The just shall live by his faith. We previously started our look into the second response of the Lord to Habakkuk. Habakkuk came along and said, why is God not punishing the people for their idolatry and their sinfulness? And then the Lord responded and said, I will, and I'll use Babylon to do it. Habakkuk responds, why are you using Babylon to punish Israel? And then he concludes with the verse in chapter 2, verse 1, that I've quoted many times and no doubt will continue to do so because it's become one of my favourites. I will stand upon my watch. I will set me upon the tower. I will watch to see what he will say unto me and what I shall answer when I am reproved. So Habakkuk has reached this point where he doesn't understand and he's called upon the Lord, said, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I am looking. I have position myself so that I can see and understand as best I can what you will say. And the Lord answered and then said, write the vision. But before the Lord gave Habakkuk the second vision, he he positioned Habakkuk with his instructions. Wait, tarry, be ready, the word will come when I have appointed it to happen. Now, this is what is going to happen. But before the word was given, Habakkuk was told to be ready. And that is how we should be before we receive the word of God. We should be ready. We should ready ourselves, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to receive the word. We're coming to church. Do we prepare ourselves before we come out the door? We have our personal devotional times. Do we settle ourselves before we go into those? Do we wait and watch for the Lord? If you, if you look for patterns in, in uh, scriptures, you, you will often find them. And if you look through the rest of chapter two, you will find a pattern, a repetition, and you will see this word, woe. Woe to him. Woe to him, woe to him, woe unto him. So you know those people are in for a a hard time. They are being warned and they will be punished. And that is what will ultimately be looked at next time, God willing. Before we get to that though, we have an encouragement in verse 4. Two parts to verse 4. We'll focus primarily on the second part, but we can't do that exclusively. We must also look at the first part. But the encouragement is the just shall live by his faith. So today, to help us with this, one of the best known verses in scripture, we will look at it in three um, ways. Firstly, what is faith? Secondly, the object of our faith. And then thirdly, the outcome of saving faith. So firstly, what is faith? Now I've got a book at home, it's like that thick. That's about eight centimetres thick, I would guess. 
systematic theology. Very helpful, very detailed. If ever I want a definition of something, that is where I would go. It's Louis Burkhoff, if, uh, if anybody's interested. And he always opens up with his, certainly with the attributes of God, he will open up with this phrase, that perfection of God. And then he carries on. I like that that sort of line. But I didn't do that in this instance because we have a definition of faith given to us in the scriptures. So as much as I enjoy Louis Burkhoff, scriptures supersede Louis Burkhoff. So what do the scriptures tell us about faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's a good verse to learn if you don't already know it. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Now, hope sounds a bit like an optimistic term, doesn't it? I hope tomorrow will be a nice day so I can get out and about. That's not the hope that we have mentioned here. In this instance, hope can be explained as an unconditional certainty. So faith is the unconditional certainty of things not seen. We haven't seen something, but there is no doubt at all that it will happen. Now, obviously, this this is faith in God, not faith in general. We have to understand that there are a lot of levels and types of faith, and we will focus upon saving faith as our primary theme. But I read somewhere a while back there that there are three elements to faith, and I find this helpful. The three elements being knowledge, belief, and trust. And an example that I've used, and I don't know if I invented it or if I read that as well somewhere, but take the chairs. Everybody here is sat on a chair. So that would suggest you know what the chair is for. You know that it is a chair. It has been designed to be sat on. You know that's what it's there. The next phase is you would look at it and think, is it sturdy? Looks all right. Looks clean enough looks stable enough. I believe it would hold my weight if I was to sit on it. Now, you don't just then walk away and say, yeah, I believe the chair would hold my weight and just, if I sat on it and then not do anything further about it. The fact that you are all sat down on chairs suggests also that you have trust in that chair to support your weight and to be comfortable, even with the uh, back support there. So, knowledge, we know what the chair is. Belief, we believe it will support our weight. Trust, we actually sit on it to exercise that belief and understanding and trust by sitting on it. That's a very basic example of faith in a basic object. But it gives us an understanding, a basic grasp, doesn't it? Spurgeon says of faith, faith occupies the position of a channel or a conduit pipe 
Grace is the fountain and the stream. Faith is the aqueduct along which the flood of mercy flows down to refresh the thirsty sons of men. So faith is a channel or a pipe. I've also heard it used as a hand that receives the gift. So there is nothing of ourselves. If somebody gives you a gift and you stretch out your hand to receive that gift, you do not say, well done me for taking hold of that gift and bringing it to myself. The gift, whatever it may be from from the, the giver, is the true blessing. And that is what Spurgeon says here about faith. It occupies the position of a channel or a pipe, conduit pipe. Grace is the fountain and the stream. So this is the gift, grace. The grace of God blessing us beyond measure. And faith is simply the channel that receives that gift. Faith is the channel or faith is the hand that receives that gift. So obviously, as I've mentioned, there are different types of faith. We've used a basic example of a chair. Farmers would have faith, wouldn't they? They plant their seeds and they have faith that the seeds will take root in the ground, germinate and bring forth fruit. Whatever crop is planted, that it will come forth. Now, throwing the seeds into the ground is all good and well. But that's not the blessing, is it? God gives the increase. The farmer can't make the thing grow. He relies on the harvest. And we know who is the Lord of the harvest, who has promised that seed time and harvest will not fail as long as the earth remains. I'll have faith in the car that it will get me safely home tonight. But that is all that the car will do. It will get me safely home to my house which is a nice blessing, and I'm very thankful for it, but that is the end of that matter. Then we we, we had the parable, didn't we, of um, um, the seed that falls on different grounds, and we have this temporal faith for a short time, and then the difficulties come, and then the, 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 the seed is taken away, and the faith is gone. It wasn't real. It was a, a temporal thing. But our focus, and that will lead us nicely into the second point, is on what is known as saving faith. Faith that saves us from our sins. And that very nicely takes us to the object of our faith. But we'll just share you a couple of quotes. These two are from John Calvin uh, in relation to faith. And think about this as it leads into the second point, which is the object of our faith. No man can arrive at faith by his own sagacity or sagacity our own wisdom or our own cleverness. For all are blind until they are illuminated by the Spirit of God. He also says, faith, it is the chief foundation of faith to know it is, sorry, it has God for its author. So here again, Faith in the chair is is fine and it is limited. Faith in the car to take me home, again, is fine, but that is limited. Faith that the crops will grow is a more pressing one, but also very limited. The chief foundation of faith to know that it has God for its author. That's a great blessing, a saving faith. 
comes from God. So the object then of our faith, because we read the just shall live by faith. So what is the object of our faith? Very clearly, it is Jesus Christ. He is the object of our faith. And we'll build on this again more more fully in a few moments time. But also we must understand that the object of our faith should also be the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So there's a twofold message here for Habakkuk. There's the faith to salvation, saving faith through Jesus Christ, which is to come. But there is also faith in the very word of God that he will do what he has said he will do. What is going to come to the Chaldeans will happen, though it tarry, it will happen. It won't tarry beyond any point that I have set. So as, as we've seen, Habakkuk is wrestling with this principle. He's wrestling with God and God, why is this, Lord, why is this happening? Why are you doing it this way? Why is this happening? Verse chapter three, when we get to that in due time, opens up with these words, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years make known in wrath. Remember mercy. My Bible has a little line at the top that says, a prayer of Habakkuk telling of God's majesty and power. So Habakkuk did not fully understand what was going on. He did not understand why God was dealing in such a way, why God would use the Babylonians to judge the nation of Israel. But he believed And he praised God for it. Isn't that a great example of a man of faith? He knew God. He knew who God was. He believed in God that he would do. And he trusted that this would come to pass. This was a man who trusted in the word of God. We also have judgment on Babylon, and that is detailed, and that will follow. This is a man who trusted that God would do what he said he would do. His faith in the word of God. But he makes an interesting point in verse 13 of chapter 1. Thou art a purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity, Wherefore, lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously and hold thy tongue when the wicked devoureth the man that is more righteous than he? So why are you going to allow Babylon, this evil nation, to judge and punish Israel? But at the start, uh, in chapter 1, he's grumbling about the state of Israel. But compared to Compared to Babylon, he seems to think Israel is better. We're going to read a few verses, and if you can turn to Romans chapter 9. It's a very helpful few verses here. 
We'll read the first eight verses of chapter 9. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bear me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So, verse 6. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. So just because you are born into the nation of Israel does not make you a Christian, to use our terminology. Just because you are born to the nation of Babylon doesn't mean that you are not a Christian. And this comes back to the object of our faith. And it is Jesus Christ. It is not of anything that we have done. It is not of any of our heritage. It is not of who our parents are. It is not what our parents believe. It is the object of our faith. It is a very personal faith. By grace are we saved through faith. And that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. So Habakkuk was complaining that... An, an evil nation was being used to judge his nation when he should have been saying an evil nation is being used to judge another evil nation. There is not a righteous nation. There are righteous individuals in all of the nations. And this is what we need to focus on. Verse 4, which is our text, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. So the just shall live by faith. But those who are lifted up in their own mind and are not upright, they are crooked as it's also been described. They are not straight. They are crooked before God. They won't live. The just shall live. So here's a contrast. It's not between Israel and Babylon. It's between those who are just, who are justified, who are righteous before God, and those who are not. Not about nation or nationality. It's about spirituality. It's about what we believe, more importantly, on whom we believe. We talk about the aloneness of salvation. I'm sure many of you have heard of that phrase, the aloneness of salvation. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way to reach heaven, to be saved, to be given eternal salvation, 
but through Jesus Christ. And remembering, as we've said earlier on, that this is a grace, a gift from God that we do not deserve. And the faith that we have is also a gift from God. Again, following on, Spurgeon says, Still again I remind you that faith is only the channel or aqueduct and not the fountainhead. And we must not look so much to it that we exalt it, that is our faith, above the divine source of all blessing which lies in the grace of God. Our life is found in looking unto Jesus. And a couple more quotes from John Calvin, which again, very brief, but very helpful. Faith does not proceed from ourselves, but is the fruit of spiritual regeneration. So again, reminding us that this is a gift from God. And this one I find quite pertinent, especially for the likes of Habakkuk. The faith of Abraham was directed to the blood of Christ. So if Abraham's faith looked forward, Habakkuk's faith looks forward. We have the privilege of looking back. But it's it's the same object of faith. It's just looking from different perspectives to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the main object of our faith. We also must have the object of our faith must also be the word of God, which proclaims ultimately Jesus Christ. So we've seen and hopefully try to explain what is faith or what faith is, and also the object of our faith. And then thirdly, the outcome of saving faith, because we don't need to focus our thoughts on any other type of faith. It is saving faith that we are focusing on. If we have saving faith, we are justified. The just shall live by his faith. So just, we are justified. It is also often copied or translated as righteous. The righteous shall live by faith. How important is this verse? It's so important that Paul quotes it twice. Very, very famously, Martin Luther cites Romans chapter 1 verse 17 as the, the, the verse that finally was used by the Lord, the Holy Spirit guiding and prompting to open his understanding. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. Luther basically killing himself in trying to be right with God when he suddenly had this opened to him that all he had to do was confess his sins and believe in Jesus Christ alone to take away his sins. The just shall live by faith. He then quotes it again in Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. 
And there's also a reference back to chapter 2 uh, in, in Galatians uh, and verse um, 6, 16, sorry. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works shall no law, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So again, twice Paul uses this phrase, the just shall live by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. So, that is the greatest outcome of all. That is, again, this is where chapter uh, 2 and verse 4 of uh, Habakkuk is very helpful because we have the contrast. The just shall live by faith. The just, those who are justified, those who are righteous, have Christ's righteousness put to their account, shall live by faith in Jesus Christ. But that's restrictive, isn't it? It, it is a limited um, group there because his, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him. They, those who do not trust in Jesus Christ, will not be saved. They will not be counted righteous. They will not have saving faith. They will not be justified. They will not be right before God. They will not have eternal life in glory. They will have eternal damnation. The outcome for those who have saving faith is being right with God. But there is a third instance of this uh, phrase being used in the New Testament um, and we need to turn again to, to Hebrews, this time to just the tail end of chapter 10. This, and this leads then into nicely into chapter 11, verse 37, we'll read, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. We've had a phrase similar to that, haven't we, in, in Habakkuk. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we have that great chapter, don't we? The heroes of faith, as they're often called. But if you read some of the, the, the bits that we didn't look at, time would fail to tell of uh, Gideon and Barak and David and Samuel, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight all uh, the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they may obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, stoned, sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword. And so it goes on. They shall live by faith. This is, again, a hope in all situations. 
I, I, I read something of um, Daniel in the den, lion's den, and, and the, uh, I think it was Stuart Olliot, said deliverance didn't come from um, the lion's den. Deliverance came in the lion's den. And that is what we see through many of these instances. Deliverance didn't come from the trials. Deliverance came in the trials. They had a hope that God was in control of all situations. And that hope, as we said earlier, is an unconditional certainty. Faith is the unconditional certainty that God is in control. Now, some of them were sawn asunder. Some of them faced mockings and beatings. God was in control. Their faith was such that they gave themselves to to God. And you'll read the same of the martyrs throughout um, history. Um, and there are many great examples. Latimer and Ridley encouraging one another, be of good courage and play the man for this day. Um, will light a candle that shall not be put out. The Lord was in control. They knew it. They gave themselves. Their faith was such that they had a sure and a certain hope. It didn't save them necessarily in this life, but they trusted in the Lord. And that is an outcome of saving faith. Your faith is in the Lord. And that is the third rendering there of um, the just shall live by faith. So, We've seen three examples in the New Testament of where this great verse is uh, repeated, linking very nicely the Old and New Testaments. We talk of saving faith, faith, uh, and we must we must emphasise this point. You know, in distinction from all of the other types of faith, which are often well placed and very helpful, but are only of limited benefit. Saving faith is a great blessing beyond measure because it will give us eternal glory. I got a final quote from John Calvin here. He says, The gospel contains nothing else but repentance and faith. There's not enough talk about repentance these days, is there? Repent. Confess your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to do both. We need to repent. Now, how do we all stand today? Have we repented? Have we confessed our sins before God? And do we trust God to take away our sins? Repent of your sins. Faith in Jesus Christ to take them away. Conscious that I have quoted quite a few times from Spurgeon and John Calvin. I'm going to finish just by quoting from uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verses, bits of verses 2 and 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. For consider him. And is there a better way to end than to consider Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith? So what does that mean? He is the author He is the very object of our faith. We trust in Jesus Christ because he died for my sins. And he finished that work. And we know that, don't we? Because he cried out when he was on the cross. It is finished. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. 
What a saviour. Do we trust in Jesus Christ as our saviour? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Consider him. Amen.